And welcome, 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 everybody, to the Irish NFL show. It is time for the week 15 review show. Fair, and I know you, you did a review of some of the Saturday games yesterday. Um, some pretty remarkable comebacks. It actually seems like a weekend of comebacks and unlikely overtimes, and also in the NFL, not just the World Cup final. But uh, I think what we'll probably just do before we get started, I want to give a shout out to Cassidy Travel, uh, our travel partner. And I do know that they're uh, now, uh, you can go, we'll, we'll send out on the socials and um, uh, on our on our podcast bio and stuff, you can go check out, they're, they're already getting 2023 deals in place. So well worth the chat, uh, go and checking it out if you want to go see your all favorite teams playing. All right, so let's get into some of the Sunday games. And uh, Mark, I'm afraid we're going to have to start with the Pats game uh, with the Raiders, 30-24. We're okay, we don't have to talk about it. <laughs> Ah, come on. We do, because in fairness, it was quite a dramatic ending. I think we don't have the rights to show the clip, but that's okay, says you. But uh, nevertheless, uh, all tied up the end and then uh, just a kind of a mad melee at the end for the Raiders to take it on home. So uh, let's uh, let's talk about it. Uh, Perhaps I'll I'll give you a moment to collect your thoughts, even though you've probably been collecting them for some time at this point, Mark, and, and they may include expletives that we also can't really say on YouTube. So, um, Brian, why don't you start us off? Tell us where did it go wrong for the Pats there? What happened? Who had a brain fart? What was going on? Where it went wrong for both teams, really, because uh, we kind of joked on our social interaction last night. You know, there was nothing happening in the game for quite some time in the second quarter. But it was only a matter of time for the Raiders did what Raiders have been doing throughout the course of this season, which is finding ways to give up big leads. They came out early. They were quite dominant. The um, Pats offense couldn't really get anything going. Um, there's a lot of inconsistency around the Pats offense this year. It'd be interesting to see what Mark's take is on it. Mac Jones hasn't. Mac Jones played quite well last year on Josh McDonald. He seems to have regressed slightly, in my opinion. I don't, I don't know if it's down to this dual offensive coordinator storyline that we keep talking about that Mark didn't want to address at the start of the season with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge essentially sharing the role. But like we've seen over the past few weeks, Mac Jones is very argumentative on the sideline and getting disgruntled with maybe some of the play calling. And like again, they didn't seem to find ways to run the ball consistently in the first half or even move the ball up and down the field in terms of even passing. And it looked like the game was fizzling away until mid-tour quarter and Derek Carr chose a ridiculous interception, pick six, uh, completely seen by the by the cornerback of the Patriots, and he, he, you know, it was a walk-in touchdown. And from there, the Patriots took over the game, and they were quite dominant. And the Raiders in the second half only had two first downs prior to the final drive, and it looked like the Raiders had, sorry, the Patriots had done Patriots type thing on the Belichick, which is essentially to close out the game in a manner in which we're used to seeing in terms of game management, understanding the nature of where they are in the game, got in a position to win the game and then allowed a, a final drive from the Raiders and it was the only really drive in the second half in which the Raiders moved the ball. And Bill Belichick in, this, in, the, in the press conference didn't really want to refer too much to the incident, which I think we're going to come to in terms of the, the craziness at the end. It was more so around the touchdown to Keelan Cole, which was given, which having looked at replays last night and today, you know, it's difficult. I mean, they were, I didn't think they were going to overturn it because it was so difficult. The decision, but essentially, it looked like his toe was out of bounds. But yet, the touchdown was upheld. He was obviously Bill Belichick was upset about that. And then they got the ball back with two, two seconds to go. And this is where it really kind of got confusing for me because the first play they threw for eight yards. Then they ran and got a first down. 
and they didn't really clock, clock managed properly, in my opinion. Mark might see it differently. And they left themselves with three seconds to go. The Raiders had essentially put all the players down the far end of the field expecting a Hail Mary. And instead, the, I just don't understand why the Pages don't take a knee with three seconds to go and run the game out. But instead, they ran out to the perimeter with Stevenson, which looked like for a period he might actually be going somewhere, only to turn around and, and lateral the, the ball to uh, Myers, was it, Mark? The wide receiver, yeah? Jacoby Myers, yeah. Jacoby Myers, yeah. yeah. Who then in turn, for some bizarre reason, had a moment of madness and and, and, and actually throws it to probably one of the most least athletic players that they actually have in Mac Jones, their quarterback. I don't know what he expected him to do with it. And there was a great story on today that the Raiders player, uh, Jones, was actually hiding on the halfway line. He, he, he kind of blended into the halfway line logo of the Raiders and he actually lied down prior to the ball coming over because they clearly didn't see him over there, which... Again, you can watch different replays. It doesn't really look that way. And then from there, we all know what happened. The Raiders run it in. They win the game. It's a bizarre, bizarre ending to a game. But this kind of sums up the Patriots season for me. They, they play well in sports. They do. They look de decent. They look like they can move the ball up and down the field. And then they kind of have moments in the game where they can't seem to do anything. And the game management in that particular instance was a bit baffling. Baffling. So what do you say to that, Mark? Was it baffling? Was it just bad? What was what happened there? I, I just say I hate the NFL, Kelly. I hate <laughs> everything that it stands for. I hate how Loki and the Harpies are just constantly staring at you, luring you into mischief and bringing you to torment and doom. It's the hope that kills you. And yeah, I, you know, I had the horrible nagging feeling about this game. I'm not going to lie. I had a horrible nagging feeling that this is going to go horribly wrong. And at halftime, it looked like the Patriots weren't even going to be competitive. The offense was completely dysfunctional. They weren't doing anything. They'd given up a block punt, and there have been so many miscues. And then the third quarter, 21 unanswered points between the third and the start of the fourth quarter, roar into the lead. The Raiders were doing less than nothing, a pick six and five punts on their offensive plays. And it looked like the Pats were going to go to eight and six. And you kind of start thinking, as a fan does, kind of like, well, we've got the Bengals and the Bills and the Dolphins. We could... Nip one of them, maybe two. There's still a playoff spot, you know, available in relation to this. And, you know, I've seen this team, or my team, the Patriots, lose two Super Bowls to a mediocre opposition on fluke plays. Sorry, Brian. Love you back. Uh, I've seen them throw away a game with the Miami Miracle to the Dolphins when their lateral play actually did work. But, you know, we won a Super Bowl at the end of that season, so I can console myself. This was utterly unconsolable. I mean, I, like many Pats fans, I was up till three o'clock in the morning, just sitting there. Just I, I was still stunned. My wife actually came down at two o'clock. She said, what are you doing? And I just said, Patriots. And that's it. She just walked out. She just knew that this was not a good moment. Um, you know, for every flip side, for every downside, there's an upside. Raiders fans must be overjoyed with just the craziness of the game, the craziness thing. But, you know, Brian says, what were they doing? I mean, Pats, you know, the offense was terrible, The except for Ramondo Stevenson, 148 yards, great performance in relation to that. The defense showed up, but fourth and 10 with 158, one stop, and you win the game. They had no timeouts left. 3.30, they had the ball, couldn't get one first down, which would effectively have drained most of the clock away and burnt the Raiders' timeouts. That's situational football. That's what Bill Belichick preaches. I mean, it's lovely. In the post-game conference, they said... Mm, that wasn't a scripted play. I mean, no 
Sherlock, like, I mean, you know, a Scots <laughs> play to throw the ball to Chandler Jones. I mean, I know we've got four Joneses that play on the Patriots. You didn't need to add a fifth thinking he was still there. It was the most boneheaded move I've seen in a long time, and I've seen some pretty dumb plays at times. Um, amazing drama. I honestly thought we were just going to get, you know, losing overtime the normal way, but no, this one stinks. This one's going to be there for a while. Everyone else is greatly enjoying it, and I can understand why, given the Patriots dynasty and reign of success. Um, and there are some longer-term questions. Mac Jones was a bit petulant, wasn't performing. Uh, the run game until the second half didn't really get going, and then when it did, it you know completely changed the dynamic. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm so glad I have to be on this show tonight uh, to talk about this. It may, might help the psychologist bill in the long run. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, well, look, I'll, I'll let you sort it out between you and the psychologist. But, uh, Colm, do you have anything to add to that? It's uh, it's uh, there's it's an interesting game. It kind of reminded me a bit more of sort of the madness of college football at the end there. But um, what's your take on it? Yeah, Kelly, I think you're right. It was the, the Stanford band uh, on the field. It was that type uh, of madness that, that we watched. And you know, you, you do, we have seen other moments this year, right? When you think about the the way in which the, the Bills and the Vikings game ended, where we haven't seen anything like this, um, where, you know, the, it was it was so in, inexplicable. Uh, for me, I think Brian touched on uh, parts of it, but the, whatever is going on with the offense in New England, I mean, when you have 13 uh, of 31, that is not a good day at the office. I do, and he will never say it publicly, um, but I do wonder if Bill Belichick had his time again, would he uh, look around the rest of the league and think, hmm, 31 other teams have an offensive coordinator. 32 teams had an offensive coordinator last year. 32 teams had an offensive coordinator the year before that and the year before that. And every year, and uh, decide, you know, we know what, what a fantastic job he has done um, in the past. We know about all the Super Bowls, but sometimes you can be too clever. Um, and sometimes it's the greats who, who do that. You know, Andy Reid very often does it in the playoffs. Alex Ferguson and Pep Guardiola, notorious for doing it in the latter stages of the Champions League, overthinking, trying to come up. Uh, sometimes they should apply Occam's razor to their coaching. Uh, I think the uh, rest of the league will enjoy this, uh, and this will certainly be one that I'm sure will be replayed by fans of 31 teams for many, many years to come. Indeed, yes. Callum, and, uh, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Um, we get a lot of great interaction on Sunday night, obviously, because the games are going on from 6 o'clock, but that particular... Uh, video clip of the touchdown. Um, I think it's probably one of the biggest engagement ones we've had throughout the course of the season. And even today, it's gone on and gone on and on, gone on with different people putting their uh, thoughts on it. So uh, it was great to see all the rea reaction. Mark obviously won't appreciate it, but it was good. To yeah, see yeah, it was great, Brian. It was fantastic. <laughs> and I'm sure the reaction will continue. And uh, indeed, seek it out on seek it out on Twitter and uh, f forward it on, pay it forward. Um, okay, very good. And also shout out Colin for uh, 
name checking Occam's razor. That's some that's some highfalutin stuff you got going there. Uh, just a reminder as well, when we're talking about social engagement, uh, do do share your comments with us now this evening, and we'll we'll get to those in a couple of couple of games time. Okay, we'll move on to game two. Uh, thank God, said Mark. Um, all right, so a game that did actually go to overtime. Um, uh, this was the Jags coming back from 17 points down to beat the Cowboys 40 to 34. Um, and in fairness, the, the momentum is building for the Jags. So um, let's uh, let's maybe go to you, uh, Mark, first. Uh, what, what was your takeaway on this one? Well, it was like Brian said. I mean, why did Myers throw it to Mac Jones? I mean, he's the least athletic player. Oh, sorry, we're talking about another game. We're talking about another game now. Uh, yeah. Um, do you know, yes, last week we were giving the Cowboys a bit of a pass. You know, they nearly threw the game away against the Texans. And we were like, eh, that can happen. They pulled it out at the end. So be it. And the Jags, amazingly, last week, uh, the, the fact came up that the Jags actually have their playoff destiny in their own hands. Now, if they win out, they go to the playoffs, which is remarkable given their record. And you kind of went, how does that work? Because I think they've still got to play... The Titans twice, I think it is, is why it was. And I was like, oh, they're playing the Cowboys. They're going to lose that game. It's clearly not going to be in their control. But you know what? Second year, Trevor Lawrence has had more moments this season showing us why he's the number one overall pick. There were moments of that second half where the Jaguars were quite literally unstoppable. The Cowboys' defense didn't have any answers. And let's be fair, that Cowboys' defense had answers for most offenses this season. Uh, they were thoroughly outmatched. It is not necessarily the case that they played terribly. I mean, the Cowboys did still put 34 points up on the ball, but it was a surpri surprise given how uh, much they had the game in hand, albeit early in the second. They're up by 17. Um, I think it was in the second or it was in the third, maybe. Actually, they were up by 17. And then the, the Jags just blitzed them. Getting the ball back, uh, the Cowboys volunteered run game, couldn't get churn out the first downs. Dak Prescott... Um, got a little bit out of sorts, got a little bit shook up. And certainly, of course, we know how the game ended with the interception return. But it was that key pivotal period during the third quarter and start of the fourth where the, the Jags went touchdown, 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 got the ball back every time. And you suddenly went, oh, this game is really on. And I don't know, it still felt like the Cowboys would pull it out at the end, just like they had against the Texans, but it wasn't to be. Um, goes to the, the overtime and obviously the interception return. Dak can't be that careless with the ball. Um, and we, we talk a little bit, and we talked on this show a little bit about the Vikings and, like, are they really postseason pretenders? Can you see them, given the bad losses they've had, winning game after game after game, back to back to back in the postseason against the real quality of the division? When the Cowboys perform like that, you can't really – you have to say the same about them. So, yeah, they might win one or two. But if they're going to throw in a stinker like that, if Dak's going to be that loose – with the football against even a better team and a better defense, um, then that weight in Jerry world might go on another year. So a really bad loss from a Cowboys perspective. And, you know, Jacksonville, you know, grass shoots are springing up all over. Indeed. Um, well, Brian, what do you take? What's your take on it? Trevor Lawrence, uh, the, the, what was it? Flashes of, of brilliance that we're seeing more and more and green shoots or, or what's your take where the Cowboys just not at the races? The Cowboys are out of sorts, both offensively and defensively. You're talking about Trevor Lawrence. They're 503 yards of total offense against this Cowboys defense yesterday. 311 passing. They gave up 192 yards in rushing. The Cowboys gave up 207 yards against the Green Bay Packers a couple of weeks ago in rushing. 
The secondary, Calvin Joseph, yesterday was exposed. He was exposed last week against the Texans. And for secondary, that was spoke about highly with Diggs there. That's kind of regressed over the past few weeks. We saw the Texans do a number on them. And then even a couple of weeks ago, when we when Mark in particular was, was reviewing the, uh, the Colts-Cowboys game, and the Cowboys scored 33 unanswered points in the fourth quarter, but for three quarters, they were out of sorts in that game, and the Colts gave them a game. So this is a worrying trend because it's gone on for three weeks, but it did enforce because they've got two wins in those three games. Um, from a Dak Prescott offense perspective, they've turned the ball over five times in a week, eight times over the past four weeks. Um, it's worrying. And I, I, Mark, I felt was you could see the, the momentum building with the Jags coming back from 24-10, became 27-10, looked like the game was gone from. They were rallying, they were coming back, but I always felt that there was one drive in there for the Cowboys, which would effectively given the game. It looked like that was the case when Trevor Lawrence fumbled. They recovered, and I thought they'd utilised their run game there as two-headed monster, Elliot and Pollard, two great running backs, to essentially kill the game off. But instead, Kellen Moore continuously wanted to throw the ball. He threw a 50-yard on third down, which didn't make any sense because if he's not catching a 50-yard bomb, incomplete, clock stops, and that just worked worked for the Jags to be in the position then to have more time in the clock, go down, kick a field goal to get the game into overtime. It's a worrying trend for the Cowboys. They're playing the Eagles this weekend. It'd be interesting to see how they react in that one because that is a big divisional clash either way, no matter when they play each other. But right now they're they're limping into the playoffs, and we have a few Cowboys fans who watch the show, and they've kind of pointed out the problem they feel for the Cowboys is they know where they're at. They're because of the position in, in the playoffs, it's kind of been locked in for some time. They're not going to win the division. They're going to be the fifth seed, and essentially they already know who they're going to play. And that we could argue whether it's the Bucks or the Panthers in the South, but they know realistically, who, you know, who they're going to go up against come playoff time. And there's a yeah. certain bit of dropping off complacency, I think, kind of coming into the team, and it's difficult for them to get going again. But yesterday, it looked for a large part, they're going to win. But I just think there's an underlying issue there, and I'm not sure where it's going to end. It's probably ending a potentially a one and done come playoff time. Very possibly. What do you reckon, Colin? One and done come playoff time, or are the Jags the ones who are masterminding great play here as well? What's the crack? Well, to me, Kala, what Doug uh, Patterson has done with the Jags highlights how important coaching is. And last year, we've talked about it a little bit on the show, but last year, I mean, the Jags were, it was, it was awful. I mean, it was, it was embarrassing. And every story <clears throat> that came out only made it worse and worse. And that was the case even over the summer. You were still hearing things that happened under Urban Meyer. And all of a sudden, Doug Pedersen came in. And there was a feeling that, you know, they overspent in free agency. They gave big deals to Christian Kirk. But in order to get players to go there, they, they had to, to do that. Um, but, there, you know, there was there was really no expectations. There was still arts, the Jags, you know, what, you know really, what, what are they going to, to do? And all, all of a sudden, as Demetrius Harvey, I saw him point out on Twitter today, and it kind of highlighted uh, I'd already been high on Pedersen, but they have he has completely changed the culture. So uh, up to this year, the Jags, they had a 20-game losing streak versus the NFC. They snapped that. They had a nine-year drought on the road uh, against the Titans. Snapped that. They had a, a t- an 18-game losing streak on the road to begin the year. They snapped that in week three uh, against the, the Chargers, which also snapped um, for, for them. They had never won on the, the, West, the West Coast. Um, 
So they, they he has changed the culture. Now for them to win out, as uh, Mark said, the destiny is in their own hands, but they need to beat the Texans and they have lost nine straight to the Texans. So it will be interesting to see if they can do that. But we are seeing, I think, Trevor Lawrence blossom um, before our eyes. And I know um, that your in-laws, as you mentioned, there are huge yes. Clemson fans. We saw what Trevor Lawrence was capable of in college. It, it also speaks, if I, if I say that, you know, Doug uh, Pedersen, and we'll talk about, like, um, Brian Dable, um, Sirianni, O'Connell, and, and stuff uh, later, and also Dan Campbell. But if I say how how important coaching is again urban meyer managed to hide trevor lawrence's ability that's how bad a coach he was when you are able to hide a generational qb like this uh, and that i suppose more than anything else is my takeaway from the game yeah fair enough that tells that's, the story no it's a kind yes, of i was going to add on i mean but Colin wanted to call out the Patriots for not having an offensive coordinator, and I should have corrected him that there's many times they haven't had an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator with that title, you know, including years we won Super Bowls. But uh, a call out on the coaching here is to press Taylor, actually, uh, the offensive coordinator at the Jags. I mean, obviously, Peterson's leading the charge, but this is this guy's first year as an offensive coordinator. He's worked with Peterson for many years. He was the quarterback's coach the one year Carson Wentz was good in Philadelphia as well. So he knows something about developing young talent there. And it's that whole coaching staff, as Colin alludes to. Under Urban Meyer, it was a joke. And I mean, and that's no disrespect to the people involved. The culture, the attitude, the approach was, it was a fraternity. It wasn't a professional football team. And this year, they've brought that back significantly. They're showing the evolution, the blooming of um, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, there's got to be a Ulysses reference in there to Leopold Bloom or something as well. It's his second day in Dublin. It was even better than the first. Um, but uh, that that effort is key. And the only last thing to say about these games, this game is that Cowboys fans are delighted what the Patriots did because that means people are more laughing at the Patriots <laughs> than the Cowboys. Indeed. It's schadenfreude in its extremis. All right, very good. Uh, well, listen, let's move on. Uh, so uh, I don't know, Mark. You weren't on the show there the week, but uh, I, uh, I I said my me- abiding memory of the Detroit Lions. The next game is the Lions Jets. We're going to talk about. I said I remembered Eddie Murphy as Axel Foley wearing the Detroit Lions jacket, and I said that's that's the jacket I'd love to have. And Brian uh, is coming uh, closer to having to maybe buy me one of them now as a as a token of uh, the fact that the Lions are still doing it here. Uh, they beat the Jets. I think it was with a late touchdown to win it twenty seventeen. Brian, uh, first of all, what did you think of the game? And second of all, um, where where do you want to send the jacket to me? I can I can give you any address you want. I'll have to get it tailored for you. For yes, the, good uh, idea. Good idea. Yes, maybe an autograph by Eddie Murphy as well. Make the playoffs. Have a night out. Watch the Lions game. Perfect. You, you rock up okay. the jacket. Plenty of social yeah. interaction. Again. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, okay. We're, we're, we're on. Sorry. We're back on. to the NFL stuff. Go on. Uh, this game for me, played out in many ways the way I expected. I thought it would be a very close one. I thought the Jets would get over the line, um, but it all changed throughout the course of the week. Like Mike White was ruled out, Zach Wilson, who's been, you know, he's not one of the, the fans' favourites, shall we say, with the Jets, because he's been so inconsistent, and his manner, how he, um, his demeanour, and how he kind of approaches things is very off-putting, and 
He was benched recently. Mike White came in. Mike White got battered last week, as, as Colin said last week. The Bills fans were doing the, doing a number on him. Never mind the players in terms of what they do outside the ground beforehand in, in the tailgating. And um, this game was the high and lows for him yesterday because he had some really good plays in the game. And you can see, okay, I can see why the Jets picked him. And then he just goes and does bonehead plays like interceptions, which is needless interception with nobody around the Lions player who didn't re return. And again, his his defense gets him out of a hole. Holds them to a field goal, and there was one in the fourth quarter where I think it was deflected and they went up in the air and they were forced and they came down. It was up and down, but again, the game was there for them and they took the lead. And there's a 14 inches play, and they completely expected a run and they got goosed on a, on a 14 inches to a, the wide play, tight end play, as they call it. But he went for 50 yards and it touched down. And then it became the, the Robert Salah show, not the uh, Zach Wilson show, because he, if we're, we're talking about game management, then we're talking about Bill Belichick and how you manage a game two minutes ago. Well, Robert Sally yesterday, uh, the head coach, or the offense coordinator on the floor, didn't put really Zach Wilson in a great position, in my opinion. There's one forty-nine to go. He gets sacked on the fourth play, and they've had three timeouts. And like, I don't know how everybody else sees timeouts in the NFL, but my understanding is you try to keep them for as long as you possibly can because you'll probably need them towards the back end of a first half or second half. And they've got three timeouts. It's one forty-nine to go to take a sack, and usually what straight away you, you call a timeout because that. Because you're losing time waiting for all your players to get back in position, to be in a position to snap the ball. The next play goes off at 128. Um, so they didn't call a timeout. They lost 21 seconds. To me, in the NFL, in that instance, you could probably get two or three plays off in that time. Then it went down to 122 without a timeout after, on a third and 10 play, which actually was a really good play by Zach Wilson. And they didn't call a timeout then either, and they allowed the clock to run down to 58 seconds. And then the next play was 45 seconds, and then eventually they finally called the timeout. They just... They were on. They had a position. They had. If they if they took the timeouts, they would have more opportunities, more plays, and I feel they would have put themselves in a better position to kick the field goal, to put the game into overtime. In the end, because of, for me, mismanagement, they ended up begging the referees to give them a one second back and having to look at that play again because it looked like the clock had run out. They managed to get a timeout in, but they left the kicker with a really long kick. Never came close, and and the Lions walk off with another hard, gritty Dan Campbell type of win. The dude is just finding ways to win but the Lions yesterday started well on offense and then started for the remainder of the game and they got over the line in this one for me more so because of the Jets inability to close it out and win the game both defensively and offensively there we are Jets inability to close it out Mark is that your takeaway as well or is it just that the Lions are absolutely brilliant um well I am starting the Harold Fultemeyer iconic tune you know on the old castle now you're talking ruined, to, ruined yeah, by crazy yeah, frog yeah. completely yeah. ruined by crazy frog. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, we that, know where that, it came from that was that was that was the real the real home of it all um the lions you know all this season we've been joking a bit about them being again that red zone entertaining team and at the start of the season it was like oh they're going to pull up points in buckets they're going to be great to watch but they're also great to watch because they're going to concede every time somebody goes the other way against them What's been the change in the last few weeks is that defense has tightened up. And all of a sudden you're going, oh, they're on a bit of a roll. Oh, they've won several games in a row now. Oh, they're only actually half a game outside the playoff spots. They're, you know, I think they actually rank ninth because Seattle has the tiebreaker over them in eighth. And then the commanders were seven, six, and one are a half game ahead. But they are there or there, they are there or thereabouts. And part of it is look, it was a real rough and tumble. I mean, I, I, I can attest when we send out our picks on the WhatsApp group uh, at the start of the uh, uh, middle of the week, 
uh, one of the things I wrote, which I rarely write, was Jets uh, over the Lions. I said this was genuinely the hardest game to pick all week. I wanted to go with the Lions. I prayed for the Lions, but I I just couldn't see, even with Zach Wilson in there, I just thought the, the Jets would have enough. Robert Sala's game management deserves to be put in the house of horrors. It was appalling. He still got a timeout that he's donating to charity because he didn't even bother to use it. Um, that's how bad it was. Um, that's not the whole reason they lost the game. The one interesting thing for me is they didn't lose the game because of Zach Wilson. Yes, did he play maybe as well as Mike White would have done? Um, possibly not, but he made some big plays when it counted. He looked like someone whose confidence uh, was slowly returning, and you know they've got some big decisions there. Salah gave a pretty impassioned speech about him after the game as well, and said like, "Hey." You know, you're taking someone in a microsecond and ripping them apart. That's a second-year quarterback. He deserves a chance. He deserves a chance to rebuild his game, and we're going to give him that opportunity. Um, now, as soon as Mike White's healthy, he's going to put him back in as the starting quarterback. But at the same token, it was actually a pretty decent message. You can't throw away talent. You can't throw away these youngsters after one or two years just because they happen to be selected in the first round and therefore come with unrealistic expectations uh, in many respects. So, um, you know, look, the, the Jets seem like they're throwing it away. They were 7-4. and four, They're now 7-7, seven and seven, three straight losses. They looked uh, playoff destined, um, and now they're just letting it slip from their grasp, whereas the Lions might be heading the, the other direction. And, uh, and yes, and I'm trying to remember the um, – Judge Reinhold was one of the other actors. We should get oh, him yes. in for the reunion. The reunion. Yeah, let's get him in. Yeah, and John Ashton, who played the other cop. Uh, um, there we are. Anyway, Colm, uh, apart from uh, Eddie Murphy uh, reminiscing, what's your take on this game? I uh, ha- having some some technical difficulties trying to get off mute, but um, I I was wondering, Kala, maybe uh, whoever ends up uh, bottom of our pick predictions league uh, should have to wear Eddie Murphy's uh, red uh, suit as a potential forfeit. I think that would be uh, oh. a very inter- interesting forfeit uh, on 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 the show. Uh, uh, that, yes, that might be one to consider. Um, for for me, I I. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the the bigger issue than the the timeout was was Zach Wilson. I think just Zach Wilson's like some of it worked out, but it almost haphazardly. I I would just not have any faith or belief in him. And yeah, Mark is right. Like Salah tries to put the arm around the shoulder afterwards because he has to because they're they're lumbered with, but. You could see, I mean, why we talked about it on the preview show, why the players are wearing the Mike White t-shirts and they're not wearing the, the Zach Wilson ones. Um, if you can't depend on your QB, and to me, it just looked like the, the Jets were never really in rhythm yesterday. And that was in stark contrast uh, to the Lions. And I know Sam Hansen was saying on the BFF podcast earlier today that he feels the Lions might have the best play caller in the entirety of the, the league in, in their OC. And that, um, you know, he's certainly up there because uh, he finds ways and on the uh, go-ahead touchdown down, uh, play, that was just a, a fantastic call. The, the Lions have so much momentum and so much belief and so many different ways to, to beat you. 
And Dan Campbell hasn't been afraid to, you know, make uh, changes over the course of the, the season. And I know that he told, I had seen a quote yesterday where he said he, he talked to, I suppose, a lot of the greats. And he talked about Sean Payton and going for it on fourth down and why he, he does that. And it's because defenses are terrified. They don't know what you're going to do because it's still the great unknown as to, you know, are you faking them out? Are What is it that you're going to do? You're fourth and one. Are you going to run it or, or and, and do they have to sell out to try and stop that? Or are you going to, you know, fake them on that? So that was a really interesting piece. And look, I, I think it would be fantastic. We talked earlier, coaching matters. Dan Campbell has done a heck of a job, the coaching staff there. And I think it would be fantastic to see uh, the Lions who earlier in the year and on this show for the last few years have referred to Detroit as the factory of sadness. And that is the fact that Ford Field has been that. Um, every time uh, I have gone over to a stateside, usually uh, for Thanksgivings, very often end up in Michigan, know some Lions fans. And every, it seems like every Thanksgiving, the Lions are, are always playing and they always find a way to, to throw it away. But not not this year. And this Lions team looked very, very different. And uh, much like the, the Jags, you know, they're... Um, their fate is essentially in their in their own hands, but potentially they, they need to just keep winning. And Dan Campbell and the Lions are the great entertainers of the 2022 season. The great entertainers. Mark, did you have something you wanted to throw in there? I just saw you. Yeah, Kelly, it's just, look, uh, obviously we started with the Pats Raiders game and that leaves me feeling very raw. We talked about Trevor Lawrence and he's obviously the golden child. We're now onto Beverly oh. Hills Cop. So <laughs> clearly this is Eddie Murphy week and I expect every it's other Eddie game to have an Eddie Murphy reference to it. That's that's okay. all. Well, oh my goodness. Okay, no no tall order. Right, so I'm going to call an audible.